podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the AI Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host Leanne and joining me as usual is Tom. Tom, how are you? Uh, yep, yeah, good to be back on. Good to be chatting with you guys. And uh, unfortunately not quite so good that Liverpool were diabolical last night. But <laughs> other than that, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't a very good performance from Liverpool against PSG. Um, and it kind of leaves us in a, in a funny position in terms of the Champions League. But we're going to kind of crack into into that game, but also um, into a particular individual who kind of polarises opinion. Um, and no, it's not Jordan Henderson. Um, joining us today then is Ollie. Ollie, how are you? Very well, thank you. Lovely to be back on. Uh, it's been a little while since I've had the chance to speak to you lovely people. So no, yeah, it's uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, it's because it's because you don't write very often. That's fine. Uh, um, like, <laughs> like fake, let's get that one in news, there. Fake news. <laughs> Wait, Ollie wrote an Any article this week. I thought we just had him on as a pity. <laughs> I wrote five in the last two weeks. Give it a rest. <laughs> How many of those player ratings, though? <laughs> yeah. Right. You can uh, crack us off then with your um, opinion on Dejan Lovren, which you've written a really interesting article about. So, do you want to sort of talk us through your opinions on him? Right. So, so last week I had a lovely chat on Twitter with a few people about the enigma. That is our Croatian centre back, Dejan Lovren. Now, I, 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 I think that Dejan Lovren is a better footballer than me, better footballer than you pair, and a better footballer than probably about 99.99% of the uh, people in the world. But I don't quite think he's good enough for Liverpool, despite an admitted improvement in the last few years. And by improvement, I mean that if you come to my house and throw four bricks through the window, and then next day you come and throw three bricks through the window, and then the day after you're throwing two bricks through the window. You're still throwing bricks at my house. I'm still not happy. It's just, you know, left bricks. My windows are still broken. So anyway, I wrote an article on so just talking through. I'm not, I didn't want to slander him. I didn't want to say, oh, he's absolutely crappy shit. Well, I don't want him to see him get him out, sell him tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to sort of deconstruct the yeah. idea that these sort of the arguments that are put forward as to why he is good, because you, you know me, I, I, uh, I'm i not shy of debates, I've had the title being Dale Mother and Sprouts and the art of debates, and we'll uh, get onto Sprouts later on, but essentially my real problem is what arguments are these people who seem to like, not necessarily love Lovren, but think he's good enough to play in the team, use. The first one being, when I, start, I put it in my piece, I start with the worst of all I want to get out of the way before I'm forced to bang my head against the wall and lose any mental capacity. This idea that he played in a Champions League and World Cup final, so he must be good. Now, rattling through a quick list of players to have appeared in one of those competition finals in the last few years. Stefan Savic, Dante, a 32-year-old Fernando Torres, Marcus Rojo, Martin Di Michelis and Ryan Bertrand. And by the logic of these Lovren fans, if we lined all of them up at that, at that respective time in their career and put them in this Liverpool team now, we'd be a cracking team. It's, it's, it's nonsense. Lovren didn't, uh, out, Lovren didn't perform amazingly well in any of these competitions had certain good games in the Champions League and the World Cup. Croatia beat, uh, I think it's Denmark, Russia and England without keeping a clean sheet in the knockout stages to reach the final. They got battered by four in the final. Lovren was admittedly very good against Manchester City at home, uh, played right against Porto in the Champions League. was good for about 80 minutes against Roma at home before he completely just lost his head and let Dzeko get them back in it. was diabolical in Rome. was 
okay in the final, but I think this idea that he marks Cristiano Ronaldo out of the game is a very strange one that I don't agree with. And let's face it, Ragnar Kvavan was on the bench for Liverpool in the Champions League final. Pedran Chaluka, uh, now was former Tottenham, now was at Moscow's in his early 30s, was Croatia's sort of standing centre-back replacement in the World Cup final. It's not like he's outperforming good centre-backs, let alone elite centre-backs, to get in these teams or contributing amazingly to put them in the position where they are. So this whole, he played in these competitions, he was vital in getting us into the finals. I just, it, it doesn't sit easy with me when you're trying to argue a point on his behalf. I, I get it. I get why you can go to it because these are impressive achievements for a footballer. But it's sort of, this idea that being in those competitions, uh, finals makes you good. Is false. It's, if you're good, you will get to these finals, but just because you're there doesn't necessarily mean you are good. Uh, and then the final sort of argument that I wanted to sort of argue against, as it were, was this thing about, oh, Jurgen Klopp rates him, which is fine. Like, Klopp thinks he's a better player than I do. Klopp is a much better manager than I would be if I suddenly was thrust into some sort of ulterior dimension and was given the reins that is Liverpool football club. Um, Klopp thinks he's all right, clearly. But this idea that Klopp must think he's amazing and therefore he is amazing because Klopp's so ruthless with players is just, again, lacking any sort of foundation. Klopp is a manager heralded for his time and patience with players, and it's something that probably annoys Liverpool fans more than they actually celebrate it. You know, Alberto Moreno has probably been given more time at the club than many would like. I personally would disagree with that. Uh, Henderson has been kept as captain and kept in the team long, long, a long time. You know, Lovren's been kept around himself. Mignolet and Carrius both only replaced by Alisson this summer. There's so many examples of Klopp at Liverpool where he's been patient and carried on sort of putting out dross that most of the fans sort of think is dross. So I'll, I've been talking for a while about this article, so I'll give you two a chance to respond. Basically, the way I finished the article was by trying to use some actual decent points to defend Lovren. So, you know, if you want to have a conversation with me about Bayesian Lovren, come and give me some actual, not necessarily statistics, but just decent points that can sort of say he's a good player because of this, not this makes him. Lovren's case this season, he's come in the team, he's been injured, he came in, and is the XG in terms of our, the XG we're conceding has been quite good with him in the team. Uh, it was 0.64 against Cardiff, 0.66 against Huddersfield, 0.65 against Watford. That's fine. But the thing is, the only Premier League teams that have created better goal-scoring opportunities with a higher XG, with Gomez at centre-back, are Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester and Tottenham, who, apart from maybe Leicester and Watford, are all better than those teams. So it's not been bad defensively with Watford in the team, but again, it's got slightly less good. He was solid again against City, but it's obvious that Gomez has been better. We've seen this week that putting Gomez to right-back and Watford back in is not always the answer. But if you want to say to me, you know, Watford's come back in and played all right, and the... Um, Defensive XG has been okay, then fair enough. But don't come up with he played in the Champions League final, he must be good. Don't come up with the he played in the Champions League and the World Cup final, he must be good. Don't come up with the Jurgen Klopp rates him. It's just all ridiculous. That's the sort of thing that I had to get off my chest writing this article. I think I think the, the first thing to note is uh, I get where you're coming from with the XG point this season, but I think it's a bit sort of. We've, con- we've had games where we conceded 0.54 XG against Brighton, 0.57. XG against Fulham, uh, you know, 0.4 against West Ham. Uh, So, you know, they're not, you know, the differences are not big. Like, you know, the difference between 0.57 against Fulham and 0.64 against Cardiff is, you know, that that's one mod. That's one model. Like another model would probably judge that slightly differently. So I think, you know, I think if you, you know, if you're sort of dealing in decimals, I, I think it's unfair to say that, you know, Lovren's XG numbers this season haven't been, as solid as Gomez is, because I think it's, it's fair to say he probably have. Um, I think it's fair to say Lovren has benefited this season in particular, but also last season from playing in a better defence. 
I think that's maybe part of the issue with Lovren is that, and I've said this before about Lovren, it's hard to really get a gauge on him because every time he's played with centre-backs that have been incredibly awful, he's looked bad. And I, I think, you know, that he's played alongside Lucas Laver and he's been, and Liverpool have been hammered. And it's like, well, you, you've got Lucas Laver at centre-back. So that, you know, maybe Lovren's not the biggest issue, but obviously he looks worse playing next to those sorts of players. When he plays consistently next to Virgil van Dijk, he generally looks like less of a really bad centre-back. Um, he's obviously not a top centre-back. He's obviously not Virgil van Dijk. He's obviously not, you know, one of those lads. And I, I don't think he's necessarily one of the best in the world. But, you know, I think it's hard to gauge him, really, because he's been good when he's played alongside good players. And he's been really bad when he's played alongside really bad players. And then when you play him alongside someone like Joel Matip, who's at a similar level to him and... I'd say by Liverpool standards, fairly average. Um, the results have ended up being largely very average. I mean, if you look at his numbers over his Liverpool career, they're very sort of fine. I think it's probably the best way to describe them. Very sort of okay. Like, if you actually look past the goals conceded numbers, because the other issue is a lot of Lovren's games in defence have been with Simon Mignolet behind him. And Simon Mignolet, in my opinion, is one of the worst goalkeepers who's ever played for this club. So you know, it's pretty hard to be too harsh on him for that, especially when you look at some of the mistakes Mignolet's made. Um, I think the thing about Lovren now, for me, is that the the sort of the frame of the question has changed a bit in many respects with Lovren. Um, it's no longer Lovren is the number one centre-back for this club. That's a problem, which for a lot of people it would have been. It's now Dejan Lovren is a decent backup centre-back for this club. And we've got someone who's actually talented ahead of him. So it's less of an issue. And because it's less of an issue, I think people are maybe more inclined to give him a bit more le- bit more room to breathe because, you know, we're not necessarily as worried. And I mean, he's not he's not really made a huge impact on this season in a negative way. I think that's the main thing for me. You know, he I thought against Watford he was very good. Um, obviously, he makes one or two little mistakes, but it's... The, th- the thing I've always said about Lovren is, you know, you, Dejan Lovren is a phenomenal defender for 85 minutes in a game. It's the five minutes that he's not that you need to worry about. That's the thing. You, you're always going to get a bit of Dejan Dejaning. Um, I just think he's one of those players who makes bad decisions under pressure. I, I just think it's that straightforward, really. And the more pressure you put him under, the more bad situations he gets put in, the more mistakes he's likely to make. And that might sound intuitive, but then you get other centre-backs like Virgil van Dijk, who don't make as many mistakes under as much pressure and tend to alleviate pressure rather than getting themselves in trouble when they find themselves in pressure. Um, I think I I think it's a tough question to ask. I do agree with... I thought your article was actually... Well, I should have said the start. I think your article was brilliant. I think a lot of the points that you make, I think you do a really good job of sort of just sort of taking narratives that are maybe sort of thrown out there with no real context and contextualising them really well and sort of saying, you know all right, you want to say he was part of a team that got us to the Champions League final, let's look at that. You know, he was a, he got to World Cup final, let's look at that. Let's not just say these things. Let's actually look at what they mean and what they represent. Personally, I thought Lovren was really good at the World Cup. I, I said during the World Cup, I thought he was a big part of why Croatia's mental strength um, was such a big factor because Croatia have always been a team that's been really talented but tend to make huge mistakes in, in big moments. And I thought partly, I thought Lovren's leadership on the pitch was really important in those sorts of games. Um, but you can, you, know, you can also argue, I think, and as you argued really well in the article, actually, Croatia conceded quite a few goals in the World Cup and they beat a lot of average teams. So, you know, he, you know, he gets plus points, but is he, you know, on, 
if you actually look at it beyond Croatia got to World Cup final, Lovren got to World Cup final, is it that impressive? Maybe, maybe not. Um, ditto with the Champions League final. You know, if you actually look at the games Lovren played, um, it's a different story, isn't it? I mean, how many of those games did we get through because of our defence? You could argue, again, as you say in the article, you know, Man City at home, he was one of the best players on the pitch. Yeah. But, but you know, that was one game in that Champions League run. Um, and as you say, you know, we conceded six goals across those two legs against Roma. Let's not be sitting here and saying, you know, this world-class centre-back's got... This is the thing that annoys me a little bit about, about Varane as well, Varane and Ramos, just while we're going on a tangent, because it's exactly the same kind of nonsense narrative with the likes of Varane and Ramos. Well, they've won the Champions League. Like Varane's been nominated, Varane's in the Ballon d'Or final three because he got to the World Cup fi- final and the Champions League final. Madrid's defense is worse than ours. Like, on paper, Real Madrid's defense is worse than ours, oh, and yeah. and you've got players like that who are in like the World Cup, who are in that sort of team. They were worse than us last season as well. I did a did a couple of articles in the run to the Champions League final, and I was like, yeah, Madrid's domestic form, Madrid's domestic form is similar to ours, but they concede a lot more goals in the Champions League. They conceded more goals than us. So, you know, I don't buy... And this is... I mean, this is a common problem with football. People tend to sort of equate teams with individuals to an extent. And I think maybe that's... I think... I, I just think it's lazy more than anything else. I just think it's it's a very lazy thing to sort of say, well, Lovren, you know, got to World Cup final. Lovren got to Champions League final. And, I mean, we all, we're all tempted to do it, right? Like, it's something that I've kind of... Because I have, I have made the argument before, you know, I genuinely thought Lovren was a a pretty important part of us reaching the Champions League final and Croatia reaching the World Cup final. But it's like you say, if you actually stop and look at it a bit more, the questions start to answer. I mean, I, I, for what it's worth, I don't I don't necessarily think he wasn't a part of either of those things. I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, he didn't play a, a big role in Liverpool getting to the Champions League final and, you know, um, uh, Croatia reaching the World Cup final. Because I did think, you know, he did play an important role at times in those games. But it, it, it's not that straightforward. You know, it's different when it's players like Mo Salah or players like Luka Modric, because, you know, their number, you know, their performances and their numbers speak for themselves. And maybe it's a little harder with defenders because it's harder to say. Because there are, A, defensive stats are nonsense. It's very hard to find good defensive stats. The only one you can really use is expected goals against. And even that, you're judging the defence as a whole, not the individual players. So I think that's why it's tough. Um, but obviously, whereas obviously with attackers, you could say goals, assists, etc., but I think, you know, you just got to look at certain games and sort of say, you know, and that's maybe easier with something like a Champions League run because you can look at, you know, six games that were the knockout stages and go, all right, Porto, Man City, Roma. How did Lovren do in those, you know, six games? And and I mean, to be fair, you could argue that in the majority of those games, he was pretty good. It's maybe just the um, maybe just the Roma away leg where he was where he was actively poor. But either way, you know, who were, who were Liverpool star players in those games? It wasn't Dejan Lovren. And, to sort of borrow another argument, it wasn't Jordan Henderson or James Milner either. Definitely, and I'll uh, let, I'll I'll just respond to that quickly, and then I'll get our host to jump back in because I'm conscious that me and you have just rambled on for about five minutes each about the answer. <laughs> thing. But um, on the whole, just I'm gonna I'll just put some notes down while you've been talking. So I think you've actually made some really good points. Um, so I'll try and get to them briefly. On the Lovren, you know, he's now playing behind a good team. Fair enough. Um, but I think if you spoke to Simon Mignolet, he might say, well, I had Dejan Lovren in front of me. What am I supposed to do? If you spoke to uh, Lucas Laver, he might say, well, I had Dejan Lovren behind or next to me. What am I supposed to do? I think it's one of those where, because Lovren still makes, although he is, is improving performance, he still makes mistakes at times with this improved team around him. I think these other bad, sort of poor players could you know, argue the same thing. But I do get that point. Um, on the thing where I think, I think it's definitely a case where 
the, the argument is now shifted from Dale for needs to get gone because he can't be our starting centre back. He can't be the best centre back in the club. What we do if that's the case? To is Lovren all right as our first backup? Um, given his improved performances, uh, and I definitely think that that's definitely more of a, more of a debate to be had than there was for the people pushing that he thought he should start. Um, my problem with that is the fact I don't think he's a good backup centre back in the sense that. The whole idea for a backup centre-back is they need to just come in and not make mistakes. They don't have to be the same level as your um, better centre-backs, but you don't want the drop-off to be in sort of individual errors against anyone. You want it to be, if I put Van Dijk and Gomez against elite attackers, they will fare better than my backup centre-backs because they just know how to counteract these players a bit better. The thing with Lovren is he might, we've seen him play, actually had some of his best games for Liverpool have come in big matches. We mentioned the City at home, he was phenomenal. But the problem with that is, if you drop him in against City at home for a game, he's got as much chance of making a mistake in that as he has if you drop him in for, say, I don't know, Brighton away. Because it's not necessarily always the calibre of the opponents that he makes mistakes against. It's just these individual errors that come around because he's a sort of, you know, player that's very guilty to random errors. Uh, which is why I don't like him as a backup centre-back. Because I don't think you can trust to just drop him in for two or three games when you need to if someone's out for a couple of weeks. Um, I thought the point on Lovren's mental strength for Croatia in the World Cup was really good. He's obviously a very confident player. Um, and I think that probably just have an impact on those around him. I think if you talk, if you're going to use the Lovren got Croatia to the World Cup final uh, thing, that's probably a pretty good argument to have. It's that you know the effect of those around him. He's one of the leaders in that Croatia team. It had an effect. And if someone said that to me, I'd say you know fair enough. I don't necessarily agree that, that makes him a world class player. But if you're saying that Lovren was a key part of Croatia against the final, and because he did this and that, and like the point you mentioned, I'd say you know fair enough. That's a much better argument than simply stating. You know, he was there, so he must be good. Uh, and then, finally, just on sort of the point of, sort of rounds off again, the point of Lovren might have been good in these Champions League games last season, and Madrid's defence, etc. That is the thing, you make a really good point, that when did Liverpool's defence get them to the Champions League last season? City at home, maybe, uh, um, although the midfield were phenomenal in that. In the, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you City at home. Um Porto away, the attack ran the show, and at home it was a non-factor, because we were 5-0 up. City at home, yeah. City away, we defended okay, better in the second half. Gini was quite good, but if you if you remember back, City did carve us open a, a couple of times in that first half. They scored early, they had a goal in credit disallowed, and uh, if a couple of things refereeing wise had gone against us, we could probably could have been looking at that game and say, oh, we went out of the Champions League and the defence just crumbled under pressure. Um, the attack won us the Roma home leg, and probably just about got us through the Roma away leg with the incisive goal for Mane's finish, and then again we lost the final. And then Madrid's defence gets all this credit, but Real Madrid's phenomenal goal scorer, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Real Madrid's elite midfield three of Casemiro, Modric, and Kroos carried them through the Champions League last season, so you shouldn't give the defence as much credit. And it goes back to this argument of, that you said, well, Tom, you know, people focus too much, there's too many narratives in football over players based on what their teams are doing rather than what they're doing individually themselves. And that is sort of the main point, I think, I'd say I was trying to get across in this article. Yeah, I guess just to to kind of bring in another aspect of it both of you have touched on Joe Gomez and he's really progressed this season he's developing really well and and building a strong partnership with Virgil van Dijk and, and as you said there Ollie um you know Dejan Lovren sometimes he comes in he doesn't necessarily give you that assurance and he can deliver individual errors um Tom you hit the nail on the head when you were saying he can he can be really good for 85 minutes but it's those five minutes and we've seen that at times this season I think it was against Man City where he almost gave away a penalty um, I even said on Twitter, you know, that he had had a good game. But I think it was Ollie actually that pointed out, well, on another day, he could have easily given away a penalty and, and cost Liverpool um, potentially a red card as well. So 
you know, there, there are instances to his game where he is susceptible to doing things like that. And if you are a player who the manager is relying on for certain situations or certain big games, then that's an aspect that, that needs to be considered. So in that sense, would you say Liverpool, with all the defensive progression they've made, their defence has actually moved on and, and maybe Dejan Lovren is an indication of how the defence has moved on? Yeah, I think that um, the general point is that when Lovren has these top games, which he, he can do already, I won't live in that, I'm not his biggest fan, as you might be able to tell, but he does. He has got potential for really good games, and like this, very rarely, but you know, it still happens sometimes, he will have one of those games where he's great for 85 minutes and then great for five minutes, you think, oh wow, Lovren, maybe he's terrible. But the thing is, now Liverpool have that, Liverpool have got one of the best, if not the best, centre-backs in the world with Virgil van Dijk. They've got one of the best, if not the best, young centre-backs in the world with Joe Gomez, who have phenomenal games from start to finish, nine times out of ten, and don't make these mistakes. So you don't need to sort of risk playing someone that's incon- that's sometimes brilliant and sometimes terrible behind them. You just, In my opinion, I think we'd do much better with just players that came in and sort of gave you a flat base of performance rather than they're either fantastic or terrible. I think that they're things that you're better off doing with attacking substitutes, I think. Um, we've not seen so much of it so far, but I think we might end up seeing a lot of that with Shaqiri in the sense that sometimes we're going to bring him on, it's going to be amazing. Sometimes we're going to bring him on, it's not going to work because it's not as much. You, you, you're more likely to take that chance and gamble with the attack because attacking is gamble. Then lost defence, you want more solidity. You want more assurance, less chances of mistakes. That I just think Lovren has proved time and time again. I'm sure we'll get on to the PSG game at some point. Obviously, as we recorded, it was just the night before, so we're all still getting over that. And even though the consensus with Lovren was okay, and probably not one of the worst performances, there were one or two moments in there which made you think, yeah, well, you know, if we hadn't been more reliable centre back in there, or even just Gomez back in there and Trent at right back, then maybe we'd have avoided that goal or whatever. I think part of the issue is when you play. Lovren at centre-back and you shift Gomez to right-back it just disrupts Gomez as well and the team looks all the worse for it there was a, the moment for the second goal last night just to sort of bring it around to that Go, Gomez and Lovren were both looking at each other going which of us is supposed to be going for the ball and you didn't get you don't get that when um, when but when Gomez and Virgil are playing together um, I don't, as I say I don't, don't think it's that Lovren's necessarily bad it's just that you know when he's playing he's clearly clearly not helping the team in the same way that Gomez is there. And I think it, it doesn't help when you've got a young player that um, is trying to find his feet at centre-back and build a partnership with his centre-half partner and he keeps getting pushed to right-back to accommodate Lovren. Not not to accommodate Lovren, because it's clear that Klopp wants to, doesn't necessarily trust Trent in certain big games. I think that, you know, it's as much of that as anything else, which makes a lot of sense. Um, it's just not, I still think we need to find a solution to that question of, to ha- A, how much does Klopp trust Trent? And B, is there a way of doing that that doesn't involve shunting Gomez out there? Um, because I mean, well, we'll talk about someone like Nathaniel Klein. What's he What's he doing in the squad if we don't trust him to be defensive? Because Klopp's talked about this before. He's a defensive right back. He's not good enough in an attacking sense to play for Liverpool. That's fine. But if you're gonna then play Joe Gomez at right back, who's not a, not a phenomenal attacking player, to accommodate Lovren to make defence more solid. Why the hell aren't you playing the best defensive right back in the in the squad? Like, which I think Klein is to be to be fair. I just think he's his his drop off in attacking sense is so huge that it makes a lot of sense you'd want to play Trent. Um, a couple of points I did want to respond to. The first, just briefly on Mignolet, our um, defensive expected goals numbers were almost identical for the last like three seasons. But the minute Carrius came in, the goals conceded was about half. So. 
yeah, no, mini layers. Like we were looking at, we were looking sort of expected goals numbers in the mid thirties, and we were conceding fifty a season. Like Jesus Christ. Um, with Lovren, um, I think one point in Lovren's favour for being a backup centre back, I kind of think this is a twofold thing. One, if you're going to buy a new centre back, it can be quite hard to integrate them into the squad, especially if they're a bit part player. Whereas having someone who already fits the squad really well has got a good relationship with the likes of Matip, has got a good relationship with VVD. Having him as a backup mate would make it easier. Um, I mean, it's just, I, I think the only way we're going to be able to get in another centre-back is if we basically say um, to Joe Gomez, you're fighting for your spot, which I don't necessarily want to do. Um, I mean, I, I'd still buy a centre-back, but I think if we're going to buy a centre-back, we can't buy a backup centre-back. That's why I think Lovren's a good backup centre-back. We've either got to, we've either got to say to three lads, you're fighting for two spots, or you rotate the likes of Gomez out, or you can play Gomez at right back, which wouldn't necessarily work as badly if you've got a good centre-back. Or even it gives you the option to play three at the back, because frankly, I still think this team definitely could play three at the back. We just don't have the centre-backs for it. That's all. That's always been that's always been my number one issue with this Liverpool team playing three at the back is that we do not have the centre backs to do it because we've got the full backs to do it. We've arguably got the midfield to do it if we want to play a midfield too. Play Cater and Fabinho in there. If we play a proper midfield, yeah. Yeah, if we actually play a midfield that isn't garbage. Invisible sort of Brexit blanket. Yeah, like and and we've got the ball playing centre backs to do it. Both Gomez and Van Dijk are brilliant ball playing centre backs. They both work fine in a back three. We just don't have three good centre backs. <laughs> like if we buy, if we go out and buy. For example, Delay. We've got three world-class centre-backs. We've got a squad to play a back three. That, that for me, would be the main argument for getting rid of Lovren. It would be, you know, turn this back two into a com- competitive back three. It's not... So if, if Klopp is happy with Gomez and Van Dijk being his two starters, and that's the way he wants to proceed, for me, it makes sense to have a couple of lads who know the squad, who fit the squad well, who can already play in the squad. I do... I completely agree on your point about how you know with Lovren it isn't that he's just a lower level it's just that he could make a mistake at any time and that's not what you want from a backup that makes a lot of sense but then I also think um he he does have I think he get I think I think it's just the benefit the cost benefit analysis and the positives of having someone already in the squad who can um who can who can slot seamlessly in and maybe not seamlessly I mean you know that's that's debate in and of itself but can fit in without a bedding in period, especially when you've seen how long it's taken the likes of Robbo, Ox, and then this season of Kane for being, you know, having someone who already is in the squad ready for me is a, is a big thing, and I, I think that's part of why he's keeping Lovren around. I'd also argue that another part of something that keeps Dale Lovren around, and I don't think this chat should be taken lightly, as it's probably going to be by quite a few people listening when I laugh, is is um when you mention his relationship with. Uh, Matt on the pitch and Gomez on the pitch and Van Dijk. I thought you were going to mention his relationship off the pitch with Mo Salah. Uh, I Which really is the only reason Moreno was still around for so long. Well, he and this is exactly what I, was, what I was going to go on to say. As much as it is with Moreno, the fact that he is the social butterfly amongst the squad. And listen, I, I think it's well documented that I actually quite like the lads and I'm completely fine with him as our backup left back. But um, I think Klopp maybe probably would sell him or at least try to, uh, has sort of actively sought to, given the opportunity. But one thing that does stick, help keep Moreno around, at least till his contract expires, is the fact that he's Firmino's best mate. He gets on really well with Alisson. He mixes really well with the English lads. Him and Ox have got a good understanding. Um, he seems like all these events that they're at, he seems to be the one, you know, like that, that make people smile, getting groups together, cracking the jokes. Um, and as much as that, that's a big thing. To, obviously, squad harmony is huge. You know, it's all 
Valen Goodhaven, these world-class players, but if they all hate each other and can't be arsed, then it's not going to function very well. There's countless um, examples of that in football history. And Dejan Lovren is the best friend of our, one of our top two players, um, the, a record goal scorer last season ever in the Premier League since it turns to 30 game, eight game season. He's literally most Salah's best mate. And as much as I'd like to see it, I w- well yeah as much yeah yeah that's I'm gonna be as much as I would like to see them be sold in the next transfer window for reasons I've illustrated. I know that it's not feasible because we can't risk going out and upsetting Mo Salah. Uh, if there comes a time where Lovren says, listen, I know I'm not first choice, fair enough. Joe Gomez doing really well, I'll go. Then Salah probably be alright with that. But if we force Lovren out on account of him making these mistakes and not being good enough to start, then we risk forcing out our second best player or the best player depending on how good you think Van Dijk is in comparison second best player um <laughs> yeah second best player squad sorry I was, <laughs> gonna, I was just gonna say on kind of on that point is it a case of um it's sort of related but not like directly is it a case of um we've sit, uh, sat here in the past and said things like Klopp is quite loyal to certain players such as um you know Adam Lallana Jordan Henderson and is is Lovren kind of falling into that category? Because, OK, I, I would kind of be of the ilk that actually he's a decent backup to have. He has got the experience. Um, you know, he has a lot of experience in terms of international football as well as club competitive football. He has improved under Klopp. Um, he's not completely awful. OK, he's susceptible to errors and we've touched on that. But is it also a case of, especially in light of, you know, recent games where Gomez has been playing and Trent's not been playing, is it a case of Klopp kind of persisting with him and, and showing that loyalty to him in instances where maybe it would it would be a lot more fruitful to actually stick with Trent, who okay he's only had you know one or two bad games and he's being shafted out, whereas Lovren's coming in and he's had some people would argue a lot lot more instances where he's he's failed to make the grade. I think that's a great point. Um, I think it's definitely. Uh, Lovren's definitely falling into that category of players that Klopp's sort of weirdly loyal to for whatever reason. And, you know, I, I, I think it's hard, hard to argue against that based on the evidence we've seen of how much Lovren's played in vain of how the Liverpool have been ever since he was sort of dropped as being a regular starter. Um, and, he, I mean, he still is a regular starter to some extent. He's playing sort of 50, 40, 50% of games, I think, recently. It seems to be that he'll play a game with Gomez, maybe, and he'll play with Van Dijk. Gomez will be shunted to right back. Back and then he'll get a rest and so on and so forth. Um, I, I I think it's maybe even arrogance on Klopp's part in that Jurgen Klopp is this world class manager who's uh, sort of you know built a career on you know being the underdog in title races and turning top teams over and playing this fantastic football and but mostly improving players. You know he turned Robert Lewandowski from a complete unknown to one of the most uh, probably one of the top three strikers in Europe. There's countless examples of players he's plucked from obscurity and turned into a leading player in their position. And so, you know, when it came to Liverpool, give him this centre-back. Yeah, I think he spoke quite early on about it. I think Lovren had a decent game against someone when he uh, in his first few months. And I think Klopp's comments were something along the lines of, oh, well, if everyone says Lovren's this bad, then I'd love to see him when he's good. And it sort of smacks of thinking, you know, take, take a manager that's been heralded for being so good at developing players and put a player in front of him and say, this player's absolutely crap, complete waste of money, get rid of him, please. I, you know, I don't think Klopp, and if, especially if Klopp likes his personality, which he seems to do, I don't think Klopp's the type of manager to go, OK, fair enough, we'll sell him. Klopp seemed to relish the challenge of trying to improve Lovren, which is probably one of the reasons he stayed in the team so long. And I think he's definitely got some sort of loyalty to him through maybe liking, liking him on a personal level 
or even just having this sort of arrogance of thinking, no, I can make players good, I can develop them, I can turn this around, and I'm going to show everyone that I, you know, can with anyone, including Dayan Lovren. I think I think it is fair to note that we are the players that we're talking about rotating at the moment, Gomez and, and Trent. They are two very young players who have both had. Um, inconsistent periods and with Gomez especially injury worries so I do think it makes sense to, to be very cautious with both of those players and this is something that Klopp himself has extolled quite a lot um, and I do think you know we do have to be a little careful how we manage both of their minutes Gomez has had two serious ACL injuries and he's had a had a pretty bad injury at the back end of last season so if we suddenly expect him to have a 3,000 minute season it, things could go wrong pretty quickly. We saw that with Ox to an extent when it was just like he, he played more minutes than he was ready for. With um with Trent, it's again going to be similar. You know, both Trent and Gomez have had a lot of minutes over what you might expect from them at a young age, and you don't want a player like Trent to burn out. We've already seen some signs of that happening already this season. So it does make sense to rotate both of them reasonably regularly. And if you've got a player like Lovren in the squad, who's a pretty safe player and one that Klopp clearly trusts. Um, it makes sense to play him. And he's not played that many games. Like He's only started four league games compared to uh, Gomez, I think, started 10 and Trent started 11. So, it, you know, he's not playing vast numbers. Obviously, he was injured for a reasonable portion of that. But it, it does make sense to rotate those, those two lads. Whether or not you think Lovren is a good enough player to rotate in is a is a different question you know it's a question that we've already bounced off each other a couple of times but I do think it makes sense to have someone playing because I do think Gomez and Trent are two of the players in the squad whose minutes you do want to manage and compare that to for example Van Dijk Van Dijk's played he's played the second most minutes in the Premier League of our squad because he's a player who is you know he's at he's at his peak physical prime you know he's 26 he's got he's got big seasons under his belt he can handle it he can handle the large amounts of minutes um, he's only missed, I think he's only missed 32 minutes of our season in the league anyway. And he's only not, he's only not started, I think, one game, which was um, the, the cup game. So, you know, you've got a player in that, you've got players in that squad who can handle the large volume of minutes. But it also makes sense when you've got players who maybe have reasons to be considered, not not players you need to be more careful with. Then it makes sense if you've got a player like Lovren who understands the squad, who fits in the squad quite nicely and has been part of reasonably solid defences in the past. And I mean, look at it this way. If you, you know, if you're saying you've still got Van Dijk in there, you've still got Robertson in there, you've still got Gomez at right back sometimes, Trent right back sometimes, you've got a better keeper behind them. And in theory, you've got a midfield that's working. I mean, obviously that's not, we'll get to the midfield, but if you've got, say, for example, the Fabinho Genie 2 that is working defensively, it makes sense to sort of say, you know, let's give Gomez a rest here. Let's give Trent a rest here because these are players who've got a huge future. And the last thing we want to do is jeopardize that by putting one of them in an ox category where we have, where we're suddenly having, you know, we don't want to be in a situation in January where we're screaming, oh my God, Joe Gomez is going to miss the season. We need to buy a center back. That's the last thing we need. So it does make sense to manage those two players. And we've got someone like, and I, you know, obviously Lovren isn't good enough to start and he's maybe, maybe not necessarily good enough to, rotating for these players quite as regular as he has been and obviously some of that's been tactical as well but it, it does make sense to sort of say you know we we can't play Joe Gomez every game we can't play Trent Alexander-Arnold every game because they are younger and they are uh, Gomez in particular has injury has injury as it has an injury hit history so yeah I can see why Klopp is being careful um, and I guess the other thing which we've 
maybe I've mentioned is that you want to players like Lovren if they are going to be called upon they need to have minutes under the belt otherwise they're going to come in cold and get an injury um that's maybe one of the frustrations of someone like Daniel Sturridge who maybe we should be rotating in to get more minutes um especially when Bobby Firmino's playing as badly as Bobby Firmino's playing but um it's an interesting one I'm curious to get your thoughts on that guys I think with the with the rotation I can see why it's it's more maybe more of a point of in the future we should look to Ben Lovren and get someone else. I should make that I don't like I don't dislike Dan Lovren that much. I just sort of dislike the people that come out with these terrible arguments on his behalf. Um but if we are rotating it's to, it's to keep players fresh and to prevent injury, whatever like, that's fair enough. I'm all for that. You know, I'm you know, I have not a caveman, I listen to fatigue index and so on and so forth. I know it's necessary. Um but it, that begs the question we touched on before, but we didn't really get into it, like what's Nathaniel Klein doing? What's the, what's the point of having him in the squad? He's on fairly big wages for a backup right back as he is now, a third choice right back it seems. Uh, we could probably get a decent transfer fee for him. Uh, and we've just shown no interest in having him as a admittedly what I think he'd be a really useful option, but we've shown no interest in using him at all this season. He played kind of poorly against Chelsea in the League Cup, but bearing in mind that was his first game in absolutely ages, you could probably sort of give him the benefit of the doubt and mean that maybe it was an average performance if he was up to scratch physically and stuff and had that match fitness and sharpness. But there's been absolutely no interest at all in playing him. There's countless times we could have put him in for half an hour or started him. And if we can put him back in, like you say, he's a he's a good defensive right back. He's no great shakes going forward with theoretically with the likes of Kater, Fabinho, Salah, Shakiri, Mane, you know, Andy Robb on the other side. We don't always need a blinding right back going forward. That's testament to the fact we play Gomez there sometimes because as much of a good ball playing centre back Gomez is, he's not particularly great going forward when he shifts out to right back. But there's just no interest at all in playing Klein. And obviously there were loads of rumours that, you know, I won't mention because they're, they're, like, they are just rumours, but I'm sure lots of people have heard them about, you know, part of the reason why Klein was out and blah, blah. But if any of those rumours or anything sort of similar to that were true, you'd think that Klopp would have sold him in the summer if he had that much of a problem with whatever was going on. But saying that now, why not sell him in the summer anyway if the plan, because he's, he's not got injured this season, so you'd think maybe the plan... Maybe was the plan for him to get this many minutes and barely play because it seems literally pointless having a like player who's played for Liverpool to a Europe League final. He's been crucial in getting into the top four. We, we forget he's probably one of the he's a top five, top ten right back in the league, and he's just sort of sitting there twiddling his thumbs. And it, oh, it's bizarre to me that it just and like, it's just brought up because of the fact we're on that rotation. And we see Lovren because of this, and we play Gomez right back because of that. Well, fair enough, if we are rotating and we need to, then what the hell are we doing with Nathaniel Klein? I think the the one thing I would say, which is potentially Lovren's saving grace for me, at least, is the fact that, you know, in terms of this rotation, obviously, um, Tom, as you said there, Gomez is a player who's had a lot of injury struggles in the past. And therefore, while at the moment he's not had any recent injuries that would potentially rule him out for sustained periods of time, there is no... Um, you know, you can't look ahead and think, okay, this is a player who is going to last the whole season. Just like you can't with any professional footballer, you don't really know what's around the corner. And and maybe Lovren's saving grace, therefore, is the fact that at least from our point of view, he kind of looks like someone who has never appeared to be too frustrated by his changing circumstances of the season. And the fact that Gomez has come in and developed that partnership. Um, he is a player who's hugely passionate. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's he's always saying how much he loves the club, and and he clearly has some kind of relationship with his manager, whereby he knows that Klopp can call on him, 
and will call on him and, and he'll do a job for the manager. So is it potentially his saving grace that if Liverpool were to, I know earlier, Ollie, you said that you, you would consider selling Lovren and I'm sure many Liverpool fans would, but is there not the issue of in that instance, you bring in a quality centre-back and, and they're not going to sit idly by on that bench. They're not going to show a, a lack of frustration and, and they're not going to be, you know, hunting for a move away because they will want to be in the starting 11. And, and if they are in the starting 11, that forces Gomez to be on the bench, which, OK, might be good for competition. Um, but it also inhibits his growth and, and the development of a player who many people consider to be sort of the future of the club's defence. So would you kind of say that it's a saving grace that his attitude, at least for us as fans, or maybe I'm wrong and you disagree with this, appears to be one in which he's he's not too frustrated by the fact his time um, on the pitch has been limited? Listen, I'm sitting on the fence a bit here, but maybe. Uh, I can see a point. I think it's a, a good one. I'll respond to the sort of whole, are we going to sell him? Like, like, what would we do if we sold him to prevent sort of someone coming in and being unhappy or whatever in a minute? But um, just on the... He's happy being on the bench at the moment. Yeah, maybe. As in, I'm sure he'll be frustrated that he's not starting every week, but he might be content at his current role. Um, whether if his current role stays the same for months more, is he going to still be happy with it? Because bear in mind, he was injured, so he's only sort of been this sort of in-and-out player for a couple of months. Um, and if we're pushing for the title post-January, that running in that last 10 games, especially if we're out of the Champions League and playing the kids in Europa, we want to have a settled defence playing every week uh, and not really rotating it as much because although we, I'm sure we're a bit especially I think in that sort of last part of last season it's so crucial to have a settled team that you can rely on week in week out to push you over the hill in terms of that title run I don't think we'll be a part of that if we were to sell him um, what I'd personally do is get rid of him and Matip uh, because I think Matip is just sort of a waste of wages at the moment. I think he's not as good as anyone wanted him to be. He's probably okay as a backup, but I think we can do better. Take Virgil and Gomez and just go and buy two more centre-backs. Go and buy a young centre-back to compete with Gomez and probably maybe replace Van Dijk one day. Uh, keep him on their toes, rotate him and out. And then just go and buy like a, a Johnny Evans, just someone like that, someone old. They don't have to be particularly quick because they don't want to play that much. I'll probably just play against the Dross. Um, just go and buy Ragnar Clavan. Honestly, that, that that is what I mean. That is exactly the kind of I was gutted when we sold Pavan because I thought he's the ideal fourth choice centre back. Take Van Dijk and Gomez. Go and buy another young centre back to maybe compete with Gomez or, you know, just sort of play whatever minutes um, Gomez and Van Dijk are. Unless we do need to bring in this fourth choice centre back, who literally just needs to be someone old, someone who's been around the block, someone who's experienced, happy to come and sit on a elite teams bench and come on and maybe not set the world's light but not make too many mistakes see Ragnar Kavan and what he did when he was at Liverpool just literally somewhere in that ilk um, and if we did that as a pair in terms of the sort of Kavan type figure maybe a bit better like a Johnny Evans is just the first name that came to mind I'm not sure why and then another young centre-back I think we're better off now and for the future I think squad morale is still fine than we are with uh, Matip and Mon. I think part. I think the the team that I always look at when because this is a topic I've discussed before. Do we need another centre back? I look at the Spurs. I look at Spurs because Spurs had this. You know, Spurs had the two best centre backs in the league, and they went, yeah, but we've only got the two best centre backs in the league. What if one of them gets injured? And then they went out and bought Davidson Sanchez, who's a really good young player. Um, and I don't, you know, this Liverpool should be doing that. They should be saying, you know. Because it gives us the flexibility to go to a back three. It gives us the sort of the flexibility to say to the ads, okay, well, we've got two young centre-backs here who both need bedding in. We can just rotate them a little bit, you know? And 
here's the thing rotation is is great but we need to maybe we don't need to get to we don't necessarily need to get to a city point of rotation where we've got players for every game but if we can get to a point where we're saying you know where the players that we're rotating in aren't you know henderson milner genie because let's be honest at the moment it feels like sometimes if we're rotating there have been moments in the last sort of 18 months where when we've rotated in certain players everyone's like why the hell is that player on the pitch for and it's like well because we need to rotate so it'd be great if we could get to a point where we're rotating where the players that we're rotating are sort of joe joe gomez and for example the lie you've got joe gomez and delict or whoever you pronounce his name you know they're the two players that are rotating and then you've got occasionally play back three you've got the midfield and then in the midfield if you're rotating players like shakiri you know that sort of thing that's for me what you need to be looking at there's no reason of saying you know you don't necessarily need to have two center backs and then a backup um obviously with center backs it helps to know who your you know first choice back line is and obviously having two center backs our first choices can be good but equally there are there are there are for me clear examples over the last couple of years where there are teams that have sort of said we're going to have three center backs we've got the option to play all three we've got the option to play two of them and um, we're going to use them. And I think maybe part of that would be in the summer, once we've had our full season of Van Dijk and Gomez, so that, that whoever that third centre-back is, they just need to build the relationship up between the other two, rather than having three sort of trying to feel each other out. Um, I think a good example of sort of the issues with this is obviously last night, um, when you know we saw Lovren came in. And I, don't, I actually think the decision to play Lovren was a worse decision than the midfield three, because I think it ended up playing a bigger part in the defeat. Because I think Gomez was all over the place because positionally he just looked a he just looked a completely different player. He just didn't seem to know what he was doing. His his final ball was pretty average. And then there was you know there were, there were moments in that game where Joe Gomez is 20, 20 yards up the pitch from Lovren. Lovren's trying to chase back Mbappe or Neymar. And you know you've got two of the quickest players in world football, and you've got one of the quickest centre backs in the world, and he's playing twenty yards further up the pitch because he's at right back. And it's that this not, and I think it was Hamza said to me last night in the group chat. It's not Lovren's fault. He's much slower than Gomez. And no, it isn't Lovren's fault. I'm not blaming Lovren for that. But then you have go, you have Joe Gomez at centre back. Then, um, that being said, um, I thought it was really intelligent um, from Tuchel to sort of because I don't think anyone expected Mbappe to play up front. He spends a lot of his games off the right. So to basically stick Mbappe on Lovren was a really intelligent piece of management from Tuchel because it was basically look. Lovren's a lot of things. He's not as quick as Mbappe. That's going to be how we're going to get some joy there. And obviously that worked. Um, and I think that's part part of the problem with Lovren. It's not even how he... It's not necessarily always how he plays. It It's how he impacts the others around him. And when you've got someone like Joe Gomez, who's extremely talented... Joe Gomez had an awful game last night. And that's partly because he was playing out... Not out of position, but partly because he was playing at right back alongside Lovren rather than at centre-back, where he's been really, really good. Yeah, I think Klopp's... This is what I said, I, said, I said it last night. I think Klopp's going to take full responsibility for last night's performance. Because these players have limitations. Lovren's got limitations. We've discussed quite a lot of them. Gomez has got limitations at right-back. Midfield three of them have got limitations. And when you put them in a specific system, some of those limitations are exposed. We saw Lovren's lack of pace exposed. We saw the midfield's lack of creativity or maybe defensive positioning exposed as PSG sort of cantered through them like a horse going through a park. It was embarrassing. Um, but away from sort of my turmoil over the PSG game, it, it was Klopp's because he's seen this happen before. We've seen how defenders can expose Lovren's lack of pace before. We've seen the fact that 
it can unsettle. And we've seen Gomez is not always so defensively assured at right back. We've seen that midfield three consecutively in Europe let us down. Not because if a player goes in and doesn't try, then you can blame them. But they, they, I'm sure they all did their best. And like, it sounds like I'm talking to kids in the playground. Like, oh, it's all right, you did your best. Well, that's the thing. Like, when you see that midfield fail as a unit so many times, you can only go to the manager and say, like, you're the one who's bought these other elite midfielders that you can play. You're the one who's watching them all in training. You're the one who's seen firsthand how it's not worked in these games. So you go and do it again. So you can't, as much as we can say, yes, they had a bad game, and we will mark them on that because you can't do anything else other than that. But it's hard to blame them personally for it because, you you know, you look at it and you say, if all the fans can see we shouldn't have played that midfield and all the fans were as quite vociferously saying before the match, I hope we don't see this team. And then we see the team and it loses. It's hard to look at anyone else other than the manager and say, well, if we can all see it, why can't you? Yeah, I think I think PSG is kind of, in, in many ways, as frustrating as the performance was, it was kind of the perfect example of, of kind of, the wake-up call Klopp sometimes needs in terms of, you know, going back to this loyalty idea, but also he's he can be a very stubborn manager. We've seen it at times before in terms of his substitutions coming very late in inside games where Liverpool are either trying to hold on to a, a narrow win or trying to get themselves back in the game and, and things aren't really clicking. Um, so I think it was it was one of those where there was a couple of aspects of his tactical side of things that didn't quite work out. And hopefully it's, it's something that he works on. Again, it, it kind of comes back to the whole pragmatic approach, which we've touched on a number of times this season. Um, and, and everyone knows Liverpool have changed the way they play. Klopp's even mentioned it himself. It's all about control. But in the Champions League this season, especially in the away games, I think we've had something like five shots on target to the opponent's um, 17. So that's not control at all. Um, and so there's a couple of aspects of things Klopp does need to change. But going back to, to Dejan Lovren, I think he's kind of part of that because bringing him into the system, um, it's not just a simple switch. Changing Trent for Gomez completely changes the dynamic of the team because Trent is so forward thinking. He's so aggressive in possession in terms of bombing up and down the wing. And although Gomez can try that for, for all the all the one in the world, he doesn't have that final ball in him that Trent does. Um, and, and playing Gomez out on the right then, you know, prevents the the partnership with Van Dijk that he had been developing, and, and Van Dijk's got to kind of alter to to deal with Dejan Lovren, who sometimes likes to be the more dominant of the two centre backs. So I think it's just all round, you know, the dimensions change within the PSG game. It didn't quite work, and hopefully Liverpool can patch things together for the Napoli game, which is now a huge, huge, huge game. Um, I guess the question being there is. Um, in the next couple of games, especially um, with the Christmas fixture list and things and, and rotation, probably going to be a big part of things um, with some very big games to come in the league and obviously the Champions League. Do you see Klopp continuing to, to persist and use Dejan Lovren in, in and amongst those games, Ollie? Um and, and if so, is it is it likely to be met with Joe Gomez being forced out on the right? Or was that just a momentary thing where you know you think Trent's going to come back into things? I think we're going to see. I think I think we're definitely still going to see it until we sort of get this Christmas running out of the way, at least because we can't not really. Like, like we, Tom makes a great point. We can't not rotate. I'm thinking it's about doing it in the right way. And this is my thing. If you want to play Lovren in your game, fair enough for now. I think we should look at that in future transfer windows. But if you want to, fair enough. But this whole Gomez at right back and Lovren at centre back, I think it doesn't really work. Like I've mentioned, what we're we doing with Klein, let Klein be. Uh, Trent's back up and keep Gomez where he's I, I said this last night in the play ratings you're not moving Joe 
Gomez from a position he's good at to a position where he's okay. You're moving Joe Gomez from a position where he's acceptable to a position where he's okay. So let's, and that, like Tom again said, Gomez has had two serious injuries. He's got to find out that amount of minutes in his legacy season before he gets a, an injury. And we don't want to go over that. So let's not waste Joe Gomez at right back where we've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, one of the most exciting prospects in Europe, who is a much better defensively than a lot of people say. It seems to be because he's so good attacking and has had a couple of road routes defensively, people think he's not defensively. He's pocketed countless talented elite wingers in a short career already. And we've got a player who less than sort of two years ago was Liverpool starting right back and no one had any complaints to Nathaniel Klein. So why are we bothering to waste Gomez at right back is beyond me. But I think we're and carry on seeing it because it seems like Klein there's no way back to Klein he'll probably go in January on loan I think with a view to a move in the summer so until late January at least when the fixture list starts to calm down a little I think we're going to see Gomez and Van Dijk with Trent at centre-back I think we're going to see uh, Lovren and Van Dijk with Gomez at centre-back um, I think we're going to see Lovren and Van Dijk with Trent at right-back and um, uh, that Confused myself there. I'm pretty sure I've said someone in the wrong position. But you get the picture. I think we're going to see that three of Trent, Gomez and Rotherham flipped around here, there and everywhere. And we might even see a couple of games with Rotherham, Gomez and Van Dijk. Uh, sorry, Rotherham, Gomez and Trent because Van Dijk can't play every single game as much as he'd love to. So, I think we're going to carry on seeing it. Uh, I, think it I think we should be fine because, like I say, like, Rotherham's not the worst attack in the world. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up costing us a couple of points if we continue to use it in this sort of, uh, it just seems like an unplanned, you know, play it by a manner that we've been using recently. I think the, the big thing for me is I don't mind seeing Lovren in the team sheet. Like, here's the, it, at, at the weekend, for example, against Watford, I don't mind seeing Lovren in the team sheet because it's like, it's fine. I don't mind, especially when Gomez has picked up Nichols. You know, you want to see, you want to see players like Gomez rested. It's fine. I can tolerate it. It's it's games like last night. It's when I see we've got a huge game and Gomez is fit and he's at right back and Lovren's like that's when I get frustrated. I don't you know I don't care if Lovren plays. I care that he's been picked in the big games because it's not it's similar with the likes of Henderson and and, and Milner. I it annoys me when people get angry when they start against the likes of of Watford of of, Bur- of your Burnleys of the game because you know Fab and Cater can't play every game, but. It doesn't annoy me when I, it does annoy me when I see him in games like last night because they're the games that we actually can't afford to rest players. They're the games where we actually need to, you know, play our best players, and that's that's the frustrating thing for me. It's not the Lovren's playing; it's where and how he's being used. And this is something that I think I think you know Gags is saying. Gags is really frustrated with the usage of the squad at the moment. It's not the players; it's not even using those players. It's how the players are being used. Because you don't want to be in a situation where you've got the likes of Fabinho and Cater on on the bench consistently, especially in the big games. And it's the same with the defense. You don't want to see Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench in the big games. You want to see Trent playing as, as often as possible. And if he can't play, then you want it to be in certain games. You want to highlight games. The Watford game was a perfect example of a game where we could highlight and say, we're going to play Lovren in that game. Fine. But then if you're playing Lovren against Watford and then PSG, and then he might even start against Everton. And that's just crazy for me. Okay. Um, so we're going to round up there. So I'll go to you first, Ollie. Have you got anything you wanted to plug or any final comments on your love your undying love for Dejan Lovren? Um, uh, go and read my Lovren article if you haven't already because um, I think it's one of my more interesting ones in the fact that 
I think normally I just get tempted to shout at Dale Mother, and, and as I've heard I've got across in this pod, I've sort of tried to break down some arguments rather than just unleash rage on the idiots that think he's a world-class player. Uh, going with my player ratings from last night, I actually got quite a positive reception, which was nice because player ratings always only seem to sort of criticism. Uh, uh, and then I will have an article coming out in the coming week on James Milner, uh, quite potent after the midfield's display last night, and sort of why maybe he's not quite as good anymore as much as people don't like to hear it. So you can find that all on the AI website and probably on my Twitter account, which is Oliver underscore Emerson. And Tom, anything from you? I've got two articles coming out in the next um, few days. They should hopefully both be quite popular. One of them is about Rafa Benitez, who I know is still a, a, a favourite, and just a little piece on why, for me, he's still my favourite Liverpool manager and why it's great to see him doing really well at Newcastle. Um, and, you know, performing, I sort of compared how his season is going to, not not quite to Istanbul, but sort of pointing out that, you know, he's still he's still somehow finding ways to massively outperform what's expected of him. And then I've got another article coming out, which is sure to rough a few of those, which is on Naby Keita, um, partly pointing out that he's really, really good. And when he does play, he's going to be well, well worth the three months of us being like, where's Naby Keita? Because when he arrives, trust me, he's going to arrive. And also sort of saying, you know, if Klopp doesn't want to play him and if Klopp's not ready to play him, then we should trust the manager's decision on that one, um, which is probably going to be less well-received than how good he is. Because, you know, if you spend half an article pointing out that this lad is way better than Henderson and, and Milner and Vinaldum, then also say, yeah, but I'm also fine if he's not playing ahead of them. It does rattle a little, you know, it does kind of rankle a little bit. And it kind of frustrated me watching it, writing it, especially then with the PSG game following it up. But um, I hope, yeah, that those two articles go down well because they're, two topics that I feel are relatively popular. All right. Um, I've been snowed under with Uniwork, so I've actually kind of taken a, an Ollie Emerson hiatus from writing at the moment. Um, but I've got a Firmino article in the works, kind of looking at his more withdrawn role and how that's restricting him and actually impacting on the overall team and, you know, whether that ties into to Klopp's idea of a more pragmatic approach. So hopefully that will be done um, in the next day or two. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's all from us. Um, it's been great to have Ollie back on and, um, cheers to Tom as usual. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Podcast Network.